0: and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by a very special couple of guests uh, who I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a while and finally have found time to have them on. First off being uh, maybe the lesser of the important two guests that we have today, David Elliott, co-founder of the Peninsula Pulse and his dog Oxford, who I am extremely excited to chat with today. How are both of you doing?
1: I'm doing all right Andrew. Oxford is uh entertaining himself on his bed and chewing on it. You want to take him home? Uh I I have two small
0: dogs at home right now and I don't know how uh they're all going to interact together. So uh I'll, I'll hold off on that for now. Okay.
1: Well, he does need like two choice, so maybe that would help with uh, some of his behavior.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many problems that solves, but uh but we'll see. <laughs> So Dave, it seems like pretty much every other day now you ask me what's going on in Door County. Uh, And part of that is because uh, I'm I'm young and hip and I know what's happening. And part of it is because uh, I have stepped into the role of the arts and entertainment editor for The Pulse. And so now it is my job to know what's going on. And uh, this is kind of a serendipitous time for us right now because... Normally, you and I would talk about the events that are coming up and what's happening in Door County, Uh, but we're in the slow season. Uh, We're recording this in about middle February right now, right before Valentine's Day. So there are some things going on, but not a lot. And any other time, maybe we'd have more to talk about, but we are still in the middle of a pandemic as well. So there's even less to do. And so we thought that we would take this time, rather than talking about what's going on in the county, maybe focusing uh, a little bit on the past and talking about the history of the Pulse. Uh, this story has been told a couple of times in the past through the publication, but we've never had an opportunity really to sit down and dig into it for the podcast. So that's what I want to do today and over the next couple of weeks. So thank you for sitting down with me uh, and chatting about the, the history, the inception, and the you know, past 25, almost 30 years of the pulse now.
1: Well, 30s is an exaggeration a little bit. We're at, we started in 95 is when we started coming together with the plan and 96 was our first issue. So we're, I guess, over the 25 year hump and heading towards 30, but not quite there yet.
0: Right. Well, we'll, we'll celebrate that down the line, <laughs> but uh, why don't, why don't you take me back, Dave? I want to go back. Uh, my, my Facebook timeline has been showing me two years ago and I was at Disney World and man, I would give anything to go back
1: right now. So let's go back. Tell me a little bit about yourself where did you grow up dave oh andrew you're digging deep aren't you uh i grew up in uh, massachusetts in a little small town called ipswich which is north of boston by about 35 miles um, and about a 45 minute drive
0: i really have not spent a lot of time outside of minnesota and now wisconsin so uh what was massachusetts like and was it in, in any way similar in ipswich to door county
1: yeah, I guess the we, I grew up on the water. Um, it was a marshy area. Uh, we had a beach down the road from us. Uh, the climate is comparable to Door County. It's uh, the winters are pretty similar. It's along the similar parallel. So it, yeah, I guess the climate is pretty similar. The the landscape is as well. It's just a little more hilly in Massachusetts than it is here. But Door County is more hilly than most of the state. So right, I guess in that case, there's a lot of similarities that way. The people are similar. People. I've just been there around longer. Um, Ipswich is over 350 years old, uh, which is a little bit different than the state of Wisconsin's. a lot younger than that. Uh, so there's st- older bridges and stuff like that, but I don't know the major difference.
0: Did you have like similar outdoorsy opportunities? Is Ipswich near any bodies of water or anything like that?
1: Oh, yeah. I grew up kayaking, and uh, I guess we got into the beach a lot and swimming and running, hiking. Sure, we used to hike in the parks and all that stuff, sure.
0: So, were you were you an outdoorsy kid? Tell me about like your interests
1: as you went maybe into high school. Now, see, this is going a different direction than you proposed originally. Well, Andrew. now so I, you're, like, you're you're going into the the different types of Dave. There, there's a,
0: a reason for my line of questioning here because I know that you got into technology a lot in high school and and in college, and, and we'll get into that story. But I'm just curious, kind of, what led you to that path? Ah, okay,
1: so. Both my folks were educators. Um, My dad worked at a school for learning disabilities for over 35 years, and my mom worked in administration. She was a school teacher. So when the Apple computer came out in the late 70s, my folks, because they were both teachers, had access to those. and, And Apple was really going after educators and trying to get them in all the schools at that point. So my parents, as teachers, got a good deal on a computer which meant that we had that at home. Um, I didn't use it a lot, it wasn't for games, it was more for learning how to program basic programming and try to get the computer to do stuff. It was putting stuff on a six inch floppy drive and we were talking in kilobytes, not megabytes or gigabytes. And I guess I would say I played one game that was called Audubon, and you'd use the, the left and right arrow keys to make your key go, the car go faster or to, to move side to side. So that the, the more you flicked the left to right keys, the faster the car would go, and then you could make it go on different angles. So that was the introduction to computers for me. Yeah,
0: I... I am. I have an interesting background in technology because, like, my first home computer was a Windows 98, but the computers at my school, I went to more of a, a lower-income school, and so the computers there were much older than what I had at home, and we were playing educational games on floppy disks, even though at home I was using CDs uh, that I would pull out of the cereal box to play games. Uh, so I, I do have a little bit of that, like, door into the past from growing up, and also... My mom is, uh, she calls it pick and spinning, where she will go for the deal more than the name brand every single time. So I would ask for something like newer and I would always get either the off brand or something that was five years old because she could get it at a really reduced price. So growing up, I always had an older generation of technology at my disposal than what all of my friends had. But I didn't know that. So I just got to experience uh, a larger breadth of that technology than I, I normally would have talking to my wife, who's literally just one year younger than me. We have completely different backgrounds in technology, just because I was always a generation behind because of my mom
1: and my school. Yeah, when you t- talk technology like that as a kid, I mean, it was, we didn't have cable TV as a kid. Like it just my parents didn't get it. We had a black and white TV for a really long time, and so I didn't even have that technology at home. We had a basic computer. There wasn't internet at the time either, so you weren't connected to the outside world. It was, you were confined to whatever you're playing with on that computer. And I, I learned how to do a lot of that, but I was, I was an outdoor kid. I liked running around. I liked building things in the backyard, mm-hmm. uh, making creeks, making gardens, playing with friends, playing ball. Um, but then I ended up in high school um, on kind of a whim, I asked one of my the, one of the English teachers, "Hey, what's this newspaper thing about?" And they were just transitioning to a new program called PageMaker, which was in 1989. Was the beginning of basically digital layout, um, and I got involved in it. Started putting the paper together. Then learned what the printer needed. We were doing just a, a simple 11 by 17 piece of paper folded in half and printed. And I got into it and I started assigning stories and doing that and getting involved with all the sorts of different people. I did it the, I guess the spring of, or the, the fall of my senior years when I started. So I took that knowledge to Lawrence University and spent my freshman year. I didn't really get to engage with too many else, um, extracurricular activities. And I went to talk to my advisor because he called me into his office because I was getting into more trouble than good. And he suggested I get involved in more activities. And so I reached out to the faculty advisor of the newspaper and I said, hey, um, how, do we, how does one join the staff? And he looked at me and he said, staff? There isn't a staff. Do you want to be editor? Right. So you, you, got, you got to go right in. <clears throat> yeah, there was one returning staff member. And he had been a sports writer um, at the time. So I quickly elevated him to sports editor. And uh, I didn't get named editor right away. I had to go through the student council so that was an interesting process um, it was just who you knew and they voted me to be editor and when i went into that office it was all being done by really really old computers that you'd print stuff out and cut it out and then cop uh, put glue on it and stick it to a big board It was called cut and paste is how we used to do paper layout um, so i went took that and said hey you know the school should really advance what they're doing here you're kind of behind the times and i wrote a proposal and and uh the school put me in touch with a donor and i had to sit down with a donor and sell him on the idea Um, they put me in a room with frank shattuck and i don't know if some locals might know that name if you're in nina the shattuck park uh there lawrence university has buildings named after him he was a big donor he actually had a boat in sturgeon bay that he kept as well and uh, that was my first lesson growing up really in the in my adult life i he wrote me a personal check for $5,000 and said, here, buy computer stuff with it. And uh, two weeks later, I got another note from him in my mailbox that said, uh, normally when you receive a gift, you say thank you. It's too late now. Don't bother sending me one, but just thought you should know. And uh, when people ask me what's one of the bigger lessons I've learned in life, it's that's it. You just got to say thank you. Right. So
0: so the the technology was kind of your your foot in the door for getting into the paper both in high school and at lawrence but what what brought you to lawrence and what were you what were you looking at majoring
1: in when you when you got there your freshman year well you uh, from massachusetts to wisconsin is a trek and people have asked me why I did it end up there you said you're from minnesota my mom was from minnesota so between my junior and senior year of high school i came west or mid to the midwest with my mom and we visited a couple colleges, and one was Lawrence, and they sent a letter to me and said, "Hey, you should come here." And I thought, "Okay, great," and that's how I ended up at Lawrence University in its itself. I don't. Mean- I have
0: several friends that actually went to Lawrence because
1: it's a, a very good
0: music school. They have a really great choir there, and I know that uh, when it comes to like liberal arts schools in Minnesota. St. Olaf and Lawrence are are two of the the high ones when it comes to like going out for a music degree. Uh, I went to Augsburg College in Minneapolis because they have a really great and interesting theater program. Uh, But I was definitely looking at St. Olaf and Lawrence as well. Uh, They just didn't have the theater program that I was looking for. So uh, I have a lot of, it's interesting that you brought up the Minnesota connection because those were kind of top of the mind school for a lot of the uh, arts students and friends that I had there.
1: And I visited St. Olaf as well. (laughs) Um, but I wasn't a music major. That was a five-year program. Um, I was actually an undeclared major for the first couple of years. I had the interesting distinction of having Richard Warch as my advisor. He was the president of the university, um, which made it so I, because I was undeclared, they kind of stuck me with him. And it was an, that was an interesting learning experience as well, um, having, as I mentioned earlier, he called me into his office and said, Elliot, start behaving yourself. Get, get in line get stuff to keep you busy. The busier you are, the better you'll be. Um, And then eventually in my sophomore year, I chose to be an English major. So there's not a lot you can do with that after a liberal arts degree, Um, but you can go to law school. I considered that. And when it all came down to it, it wasn't something that seemed to be in the cards. And I had a good friend, Tom McKenzie, who had worked on another Lawrence project. It was called Tropos. It was the lit magazine that they put together. So he and i were talking um, late our senior year and saying what are we going to do and he said i don't know what i'm going to do and i said well i don't know what i'm going to do and he said well why don't we start a newspaper and where would we start a newspaper well he had family roots in door county his uh, uncle was one of the founders of the peninsula players i had worked up here the summer before so i was familiar with it i liked the atmosphere i liked the vibe what was going on and made good friends so we thought okay let's uh let's move to door county was Tom
0: your connection to Door County, or did you find it independently of your relationship with him?
1: Um, I found it independently. Uh, I had other friends in the, my previous, the previous spring who had family ties up here and ended up coming up. And some of those were writers, ended up being writers for The Pulse in the few early years as well. So before we
0: get into your your transition over here, I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit more about the paper at Lawrence. So you step in as the editor there, uh, and you make some big changes right away in terms of digitizing the paper. Uh, Were there other challenges or anything that you you faced while you were kind of stepping into that leadership role for the paper that you didn't face in high school?
1: Uh, Well, it's a college paper, so it's a much bigger audience. Uh, And the, the first thing that I tried to do was get as many voices in it as possible. I figured the way that you get more people to read the paper is if you talk about them once in a while. If you talk about people, they tend to read about themselves. They like that. Or they like to learn about their friends or a colleague or whatever. So I reached out to all the student body organizations and asked them to start submitting press releases for anything. Um, And of course, the first reaction is, press releases, why do I need to do that? And the response was, well, okay, if you're looking at the, the awareness club for X, Y, or Z you can get more members by telling more people about it. And wh- when I started, we probably had four or five different contributors. I dug them up quickly. We put an issue together in about a week. Um, but at the end, by the, after a year and a half of doing it, I think we had 60 different submissions in, in one of the papers. So that was that was my goal was to get more voices in. And in fact, One of the challenges we run into, as long as you're mentioning it, is we had, um, we were called too liberal, if you can believe that. At a liberal arts school. We were called too liberal liberal arts school. And um, there was a group that presented to the student body and said, hey, we deserve some some of the newspaper funding because we don't get a voice in the local paper and in the the college paper. And I went to that meeting and I said, I've asked you. I've asked you if you'd write a column and you've declined. I've asked for your voice with inside the publication. So I was hoping that we could have all voices included so we can have a good debate and discussion about the current events and where we're headed and have a dialogue about it. If you start your whole own publication, we don't get to have that in one place and we're creating an adversarial relationship as opposed to one that actually creates a conversation. And that worked and we I got a conservative column in the publication. And it was great to have those voices back and forth and it, it actually created conversations in the classroom from that and it created conversations between students as well.
0: You know, I I love asking you these questions about your college because as uh, a millennial who spent way too much money on going to school, I always look for experiences that I had in college to try to uh, add value to that that cost. So I always go back and be like, oh, I learned things in school that I still use every single day. And I lie to myself about that a little bit just to kind of where like get the sting off of spending as much money as I did to go to a private school. Uh, but do you, do you feel like you learn things at Lawrence like jumping in and creating this paper basically from scratch that, that led you into the next part of the career, which is starting the pulse up?
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, I got, um, Lawrence university happens to advertise a little bit in both of our publications and, I get pushback from some of them at some point saying, well, why aren't you contributing more to the university? You're an alum. And I said, well, you still haven't covered my tuition with the advertising yet um, is my response. And that just gets a big grump, but that's a good response. though. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was. Um, So the, the, did I, what, what did I get out of Lawrence? I think, if you look back and you want to judge it by what you gained academically, and that's all you judge it by, it, it's it's not the whole picture. Um, what I learned was I was a pretty introverted kid. Um, in high school I was. I had probably two or three friends. I wasn't super super ostentatious or out there and doing stuff. And when I got to college, I, it was a different experience. I learned how to get along with others. I, I learned how to talk to people and how to listen. I think learning to listen is one of the most important things you can figure out in life. If you want to have a good conversation or if you want to build relationships and that took time. And that I, I actually thank Lawrence a lot for that because it forced me to have a lot of conversations that I otherwise wouldn't have been put into a proximity with, and and you're surrounded by a bunch of other smart people that challenge you every day. So that part is a, a huge, part, a good thing to take away from that stuff as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. For me, it's all about the experiences <coughs> that I had, not the uh, what it says on my diploma. Because I didn't even minor in anything; I just doubled down and got three out of the four theater majors that you could get at Augsburg. So uh, when when I got the job here, was that part of your consideration in hiring me, my theater major? Or, or did you pick me based on other things?
1: I, I think we picked you because you showed up. No, no. I, uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> no, no we, we picked you because you had the, uh, for, well, there's a couple different reasons. At the time, we, you, we hired you, Andrew, to be working on works and doing video editing, and you had some experience with that, and your theater actually added into that a lot. You, you had a way of directing, which I think comes from your theater background, which really helps with producing and putting together videos and being able to ask the right questions. Well, I appreciate that, but at the end of the day, you are not,
0: you know stunned by my theatrical prowess and that, you know, had you start signing my checks right away. It was it was everything that I got from that experience in college rather than just the actual major because If you're
1: arguing semantics, yes, you are correct.
0: No, but I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you, you had mentioned how you were getting a, a major in English and there's a great song in the musical Avenue Q that's called What Do I Do with a BA in English and it literally is Hey, I just graduated. I spent $30,000 going to school and now, you know, who hires me based on that? So, uh, thank you for, for walking through your, your college experience with me because it's, you know, I'm only a couple years out of college, but I, I still like getting nostalgia about it too. I like reminiscing. Well,
1: Andrew, I, it, I, I, don't, I joke a little bit about this, but it took me nine years to graduate. I, after four, after three and a half years, Lawrence said that I might need to take a break and, uh, I did and I came back. Uh, And then I took another year and then I fail. I was short one credit. So it took me another four years to get that other credit. So it did take me a while to get the degree. But
0: you, you got the prestigious title of super senior and then super, super senior and so on and so forth, which I think helps.
1: Sure. But they, they take all that away and just assign it to one year.
0: Sure. (laughs) Hey, my best friend in college took five years to graduate. So, and and he just got a a theater degree. So (laughs) it, everybody takes their own time uh, and there, there's nothing wrong with spending more time in college. I still have nightmares that I'm still in college. So uh, it, it has that effect on you.
1: Well, soon you'll have nightmares about being an editor of an AU section. So then well, it all, it all comes around.
0: I'll let you know the first time that I wake up in a cold sweat at the middle of the night. So after you graduate Lawrence uh, is, are, are you beelining it straight for door County to start a newspaper? What's the timeline from graduation to kind of jumping into the pulse?
1: So Tom and I decided to take two different paths in order to get to the same point. Um, I went back to Massachusetts to live rent-free. Um, I took a job in a kitchen and cooked. Um, I learned that through the years. I'd done that through college to help pay for tuition. Um, and I, So I cooked all summer, kayaked a little bit, but worked a lot and saved money and found a way to scrape some money together. And my parents lent me a little bit of money, I think $3,000. And I saved up a bunch and we got a computer and a scanner and uh, um, it was only, everything had to be scanned. in at the time there was no digital photography. So camera was important as well. Got a camera. And then Tom's task was to go and figure out legally how we set ourselves up as an entity. Um, he had the luxury of his, or well, not luxury or benefit, I guess, his dad was an attorney. So he worked a lot with his dad and set us up as a was an entity we had a debate about whether or not we should be a not-for-profit or not but that seemed to create more problems than make solutions so we went with it and um we so i spent i moved back to door county just before labor day of uh 1995 Um, with your technology in tow with my technology in tow um we had we actually didn't buy that we we wanted to go macintosh because that's what we were familiar with or apple um we bought an apple clone they did that for like one year so we had an Apple clone computer. What's an Apple clone? It was well, basically like uh, PCs. You can get Dell, you can get IBM, you can get all these different ones with the uh, with the Intel operating system, right? Apple actually licensed its operating system for one year to other third party groups. Interesting. Yeah. It's so a technology kind of, thing.
0: Kind of like a, a reverse Hackintosh, as we would call it now. Sure. Okay. Uh, so you, you make your way over to Door County and you want to start a newspaper, but what was the publication landscape like in Door County around that time? What other types of publications were around?
1: Well, I'm not going to let you go that fast yet. I have to back up into the, the first evening here. I pulled up into our, what, what Tom had found for a house for us, which was really tiny. Um, It had one bedroom, so we had to build another bedroom that I got. I had a St. Bernard in tow and a kayak on the roof and a fully packed Isuzu Trooper um, that I had retro outfitted and pulled the back seats out of and put a rug in the back so I had more room to haul all this stuff. Um, And I realized that no one was around, and I went to Camp David because it was the annual Camp David party night, so... That was the, my reintroduction to Door County was all of a sudden taking a young puppy, St. Bernard, to a big gathering at uh, Camp David.
0: I missed the boat on Camp David because I I don't know what it is. I came up here and I had a place to live and I had a wife already, so I just I never got to experience that. But I've had friends who have experienced the Camp David life, and man, what a what a wild place!
1: Andrew, like, wives like Camp David too. Well, you can, don't don't make it like Victoria doesn't let you go to Camp David. No, not like oh, okay. not go there, but live there. Oh, okay. Right? I didn't live there. I just was visiting for their party. Well, sure, but uh,
0: <laughs> what I'm saying is I missed the boat on the. the living there experience uh i've got to uh, i've got to talk to dave allman a number of times over my my career here at the pulse Uh, and even before that when i worked at the bank i would chat with him um and i've gotten to know a lot of people who have lived there and it's a it's a really cool spot and and fish stock as a concert venue is also really cool i've seen a couple of concerts there as well Uh, but i did miss the boat on the the parties and the experience there a little bit um but it's cool to hear that you know even back in the 90s and, and probably before that, too, before it was that. the same type of vibe. <laughs> yep. Okay. So that's your introduction back into the county. Uh, you're going to jump into this newspaper with Tom here shortly. But before we get into kind of the first issue, tell me a little bit about the, the publication landscape and, and what what were you trying to fit
1: into in terms of what publications were around? We had thought a lot about what niche, I guess. We didn't call it that. That was more of a marketing term that came to fruition much later. Mm-hmm. Um, where we would fit, though, um, we thought that we knew we could talk about live music because we, having spent a few summers up here, Tom had, and me spending one, realized that there was this kind of night scene that you were the 20 to 20 on up were enjoying, or 21 and on up to be, make sure I'm politically correct um we're enjoying out in the nightlife there was music at the bayside every monday night and spend probably on the weekends too the blue ox had a band every wednesday night the cnc had a band on monday nights too as well as weekends there was almost something going on every night of the week in music musically wise and we had friends that were one of the bands with band mates that were performing every week at some of those venues So we knew we could get that handled, Um, and we also thought that our experience with Lawrence and Tom's experience with Tropos was that he knew the arts, so we thought, let's get involved with the theater groups and the theater performing arts groups, as well as the artists that were coming up here. We thought they'd be good interviews, and we also had a collection of friends from Lawrence that they could kind of write. They had a little bit of experience with it, and they liked writing on off-color topics and just kind of spouting off. And... Uh, That we felt there was a market for that, and we looked at the other publications that were up here. There was the Door Reminder, which was a shopper. It went to everybody's mailbox, but it was more of here's where you cut your coupons from, and once in a while they might have an article written um, by Steve Gritzmacher, of all people, who now works for the Peninsula Pulse. But that's a that's another segue that we can go down another day. Um, There was also the Door County Advocate. There was the Resorter Reporter, which was kind of the summer. Um, I guess activity guide that the advocate put out. Uh, the door voice opened up shortly after. I think around the same time that the Peninsula Pulse did, uh, which Norbert Bly was a part of and John Nelson put together. So that's what one. That's four publications. Plus there was a key to the door, which was another kind of. It was a magazine newspaper esque thing that came out. That was kind of a visitor guide. There was a go guide that Destin that then the then Chamber of Commerce put out so and then door county magazine came out shortly after we started up here too so those were kind of all the publications that were floating about so the
0: pulses kind of their their foot in the door pun intended uh was that it was young people telling young people stories and talking about what's going on right getting people excited for the weekend
1: absolutely and we also thought we could bring an artistic kind of flair to it so to speak we wanted to make sure that the people who did advertise we're doing something a little bit different than a box with a bunch of text in it. We were trying to cre- think creatively outside of that conventional box at the time. I mean, you go back to 1995. I mean, those newspapers were the big ones. They hadn't moved to digital layout yet. They were still in the cut and paste world because that, had, that kind of investment costs money for, on that scale. So we were coming in and doing things a little bit cheaper than what they were able to do. Um, and we made we brought in full color. The other publications weren't full color. I mean, we were we were only eight pages at the time and we were we printed a thousand copies for the first issue, but it was full color. It was big pictures. The ads we were trying to make it so that the ads kind of framed the content instead of being the content as some of the other publications were. And so I think we brought a little bit of a different angle to the, what a newspaper was supposed to be. We were trying to combine a magazine and a newspaper and kind of give it life.
0: Did you have any specific inspirations for that? <laughs> were you pulling from other publications that you found elsewhere that you liked?
1: Uh, growing up in Massachusetts, there was a publication called The Boston Phoenix, which is no longer around, unfortunately. Um, but it was similar to The Chicago Reader. Chicago Reader was another influence as well. Uh, that, the, back in that time, in the early 2000s, The Chicago Reader they probably were almost two inches thick. They were hundreds of pages with multiple sections. And we were looking to do something like that, that would draw that kind of readership, that was looking to find out what's going on and what, where, where they can go and have a good time. And part of the way we learned about that stuff is we Tom and I both worked in the service industry. At that time, I was cooking at a rest, to, uh, the cookery restaurant, um, and, and then I moved over to the Hillside restaurant in Ellison Bay at the time. So we had access to our friends were servers as well. And so when people ask what's going on and what's up as a, when they came into the restaurant, our friends would say, Hey, if you want to know what's going on, you should really read the peninsula pulse. It's a newspaper and they know what's, what's hip and what's up.
0: So for that first issue, it was you and Tom and a computer
1: and a scanner. Were there other parts of the puzzle for that first issue? That first issue, I think uh, I think Neil Gallagher fell asleep on our couch, and I think Chris Hannaway was there as well. Um, both of those were friends of ours from Lawrence University. Neil was the drummer for the Brooker Band at the time, and Chris Hannaway was the uh, bass player. Um, Chris I still see intermittently up in Door County. Um, and same thing with Neil, they're still around. Neil was our first uh, first you, Andrew, in some respects, as his role was to go around and figure out what's up and what's shaking and where, where musicians were playing, what art openings were happening? He was more geared to the music side of things because he really wanted to find out what his fellow drummers were doing and other musicians were up to. Right. And Neil Neil liked having a good time, so he was looking to find out where he would go when he's not performing.
0: I I, I think the the thing that I find so endearing and so uh, compelling about this like this first issue of the Pulse is that the team was made up not of people with a ton of journalism experience or people who would necessarily call themselves writers, but you had you with a lot of outdoor passion and Tom with his connection to the arts and theater and these two musicians, and you started this paper really coming from an artistic passion rather than focusing
1: so much on like the journalism of it to start with. Well, people liked reminding us of that a lot, um, that we didn't have any newspaper experience and were highly critical of that. And... I, I get it. I, I, I appreciate the criticism, but I mean, in, in college, I was going to newspaper exper- newspaper conventions um, for the being as editor of the Laurentian paper, and I learned a lot in high school. And I granted, it's a really early learning experience, but it's it's kind of that tricky thing: how much knowledge do you need to start something? And I think I've mentioned this to you in the past, Andrew. It it was it really helped. It was like that was our. We that was our tuition, so to speak. You know, you pay a college tuition, you get a degree and you and I debated whether that's what the worthiness of that and what you take away from it. I think the first few years of the pulse were the same thing. We were. We're paying our, paying our way. We, we didn't establish a lot of debt. That's the difference between college and starting the newspaper is that Tom and I both had a lot of debt from school for our tuitions. But the, we, we stayed debt free with the newspaper and we, our jobs paid for the printing and paid for the computers. And we struggled our way through it, but we never went into a lot of debt. So we didn't have that burden on us. And we kept pushing and learning more. Um, we were also criticized because as you mentioned, there were no women mentioned in the first four people that were sitting in the room and we were a little bit of a boy publication for the first couple issues as we, as we were young men living up in a community that we didn't know that many people. So we, as we met more and more, our, our reach expanded and we thankfully involved the other sex
0: more. Yeah. I'm sure you did face some criticism early on, but like if you did, like if that team, if the makeup of that team were different, right? If it were people, if if all four of you went for to get degrees in writing and journalism, the pulse would look different, right? It wouldn't be the same publication that made it popular. Uh, it it wouldn't have that artistic life that I think everybody kind of brought to it early on. So, uh, I think uh, that that brings us to. The, well, wait, can I, I?
1: I appreciate you saying made it popular. I mean, I think that when we had. When we were printing a, a thousand copies in eight pages, we had a kind of a more of a cult following than a popularity thing. So just to just to clarify that a little bit, I mean, it, it grew steadily, but we printed 10 issues that first year. So it wasn't it, we weren't you we weren't super, super popular.
0: Right, but, but you did have that following, right? Yes, that, we did. That, that young energy telling stories about young people and telling people what's going on starts to gather that, that momentum. Uh, the first issue of The Pulse launched on May 24th in 1996, uh, and... What comes next? Uh, we won't get we won't get too far in the weeds because we'll talk about this uh, in the coming weeks. But after that first issue is printed and you pick it up and you start putting it out to people, what were you feeling right then?
1: Well, under, understand. Back then, right right now, we can send everything through the internet. So we finish the issue, we upload PDFs to a a server, and it gets like puts right onto the press, and away we go. Um, In 1996, we had to take a Cyquist drive, which is this kind of almost a tape um, disc, I guess, is what you'd call it. And it fit 100 megabytes on it. And we'd have to drive it down to the printer in Kakana, and then drive back. So that's an hour and a half, two hours. And it's usually done. Sorry. Did Kakana smell bad back then, too? Because every time I drive through it, I smell the dog food plant. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to comment on the the smell of Kakana. All right, uh, just wanted to, not, to clear nope, that up. Yep, help. Um, so, <clears throat> thank you for interrupting for that, Andrew. That's much appreciated. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah. I only
0: ever drive through it on my way to and from Minnesota, and every time I go through it, my wife is like, hey, "We're in Kakana and I'm like, "Oh, I know. Yeah, I can the, smell it." The
1: paper plants are there have a lot to do with that too. Yeah. Uh, so we the the, the, the Kakana Times was the printer for the N- Lawrence University newspaper, and I I kept using them because they came up with good rates, and they because they worked with a college paper, they a little more patient with this young guy who's showing up with lots of mistakes so they educated me to help improve that over time which was awesome Um, but that it it usually that trip was really really early in the morning after almost a complete night awake so you ask what's next I kind of think back to okay I get home after dropping the paper off and it's 10 in the morning I got to work that night, and then the next day I have to drive down and pick the papers up and load them into car and drive them back up again. So that's that's kind of, it was, we weren't thinking that far ahead. We weren't planning really, really far in advance. We were just running around trying to keep up with what was right in front of us. And and from that standpoint, it was it was kind of nice. It was like it, you didn't know what was going to hit you next. You weren't obligated to a lot of different people because it, like there were three advertisers, I think. In the publication, so it didn't hurt us to say whatever we wanted. We just had to make sure that we tried to grow an audience. So the what
0: what's the feeling in terms of like you've just put the pulse out where it needs to go, you've delivered it to everywhere it needs to go. You're gonna jump into issue two, I'm assuming, but like you did it. You've put out your first issue. How did that feel for you and, and the team and, and also what was the reception like for issue number one if there if there was really a reception?
1: You're asking me to think back on how I felt 26 years ago. Well, I'm asking you to to tell
0: me (laughs) how it felt to create the first issue of, uh, you know, we're 27 (laughs) volumes in on this. You'd think you'd remember what could be a a really important
1: moment. Well, I mean, it was... That what I'm trying to get at. It was exhausting. I mean, I guess that if you're asking for a feeling, it was. I'm just in a good way. It was a exhausted euphoria, I guess, because right. we we put it together. It was done. We're finished. The the immediate reaction when you before you distribute it is this is awesome. But there's also a letdown between sending it to the press and looking at it on this nice beautiful digital screen to then picking up a printed version where. The, the newsprint has gotten better and better over time, but there's registration issues, which means that some of the colors are bleeding over to one another and it's not as crisp and clean as it was on the computer screen. So there's that feeling right when you put it onto the disk and then the fear that you don't have everything on the disk when you send it down to the printer because at that point, it wasn't a PDF you were making. You were sending the, the whole page maker file with all the images linked. So if you were missing an image, it meant that that image wouldn't print at all. Right. So there's a lot of anxiety in that point. But then once you drop it off at the printer and don't get a phone call, and then you go down and pick it up on the way down, that's a great feeling too. That's a great anticipation. And then you pick it up and you kind of go, oh, oh, well, that didn't look as that great, but let's get it out now. And now you're running around trying to deliver it to a bunch of places. Um, And sure, you're waiting for people's reaction, but we didn't, it's not that we didn't care about what people thought. We obviously did care about how it was received. We also just, thought like if we keep doing something that's if we invest time and we keep trying to put a good story in front of people that that'll grow no matter what that not not everybody's going to see it we're not going to get 10,000 people seeing it right away there's no social media so it's not like you're waiting for someone to like you on Facebook it's it's just hoping that when someone realizes that you're the one that put this thing together that they don't walk away from you and, and discuss that they try to start a conversation. Did you, did
0: you get those conversations to start with? Because you weren't going every week for this first publication, right? No, it was every other week. So did you, that first week, did you have people coming up to you and talking to you about it? I, I'm sure that it was a lot of your friends coming back and being like, hey, thanks for talking about me and my thing here. But like, did you have uh, that reception of being like, of, of that, that community who's, kind of gathering to do cool stuff, did you start to see that forming after the first issue?
1: Sort of, but remember, too, we were still in a little bit of a bubble. Um, we had... It was uh, we I I hadn't been up in Door County for over a year for a summer, and that's when a bunch of people come back. And I was cooking in the back of a kitchen so you don't, like, see a bunch of people. And then I was going home and putting a newspaper together or running around and trying to create an activity to put a newspaper together. So we didn't have a huge circle of friends. Um, we had some... acquaintances. Uh, Leroy's Coffee Shop was a regular hangout for all of us at the time, and that was a great feeding ground for it. And that group just ate it up. I mean, that was excitement. That was something different and new, and that was the audience that we were trying to talk to. Phil Arnold was there, and he was Dr. Arnold who worked up here for years. Leroy, of course, Ryan Leary, um, Kristen DeHate um, worked at Leroy's, were some of the other people that wrote for the publication or read it and gave us feedback. So from that standpoint, we had a very small group of people and that slowly grew but what was nice is when we met someone new we talked about the publication and probably engaged them somehow so then they would see themselves in it and then the then our, our circle grew a little bit more and then grew a little bit more i mean only a thousand copies meant we didn't reach that many people to get their feedback from it
0: right so all this is to say first issue comes out we will talk about the, the first year, the next year, all that kind of stuff as we go along. But as we wrap up today, uh, do you remember what was in the first issue at all? Do you remember any stories or, or anything like that?
1: Um, I remember, well, I remember the cover. It was, the, we actually put Tom McKenzie, my, the, the, my business partner, on the cover. Um, we had Neil Gallagher on the cover, I think, because uh, he did the reviews. Uh, Phil Arnold was mentioned because he was a big kayaker. Made a column called Wet Exit that he started because a wet exit is what you call getting out of a kayak when you're in an emergency. Um, Chris, I remember one of the titles was Chris Fuzzy was Chris Hanaway's nickname. Chris Fuzzy Hanaway Reviews Door County's Pesticide-Ridden Golf Courses, which probably wasn't the best thing to put on the cover if we ever wanted a golf course to advertise. And sure. in fact, a decade later when wandering around the county, I remember someone mentioned then when I mentioned advertising in the pulse, he said, yeah. I didn't do that for a long time because you said that our golf courses were full of pesticides. So that was in it. Um, Don Jones wrote some pontification of some ramblings. I can't remember specifically what it was about. And I think we had a short story or two and maybe some line art that either Tom or I drew. There was poetry in the first issue too, right? Probably. And was that
0: was that unique for a publication to include poetry in it?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, there weren't, that wasn't something that newspaper did, newspapers did. It was actually old newspapers used to. I mean, the turn of the century, there was poetry in them. Um, but the modern day newspaper did not have poetry and most still don't. Um, but Tom McKenzie's mom, Rusty, had a good friend named Ellen Court, who was the Wisconsin po- Poet Laureate at one point, and she contributed poetry. So why wouldn't we put that into our newspaper? So. Right.
0: Yeah. And it just kind of goes to show that like by by not limiting yourself by what types of things you're putting in, you're able to kind of grow and have fun and explore different areas more than you would if you were trying to adhere to a more structured approach.
1: Yeah, it was. What, how can we entertain the most possible people, but still be still hold a, a positive voice for the community? I guess is the best way to describe it. Do you think that's still the, the driving force behind the falls? I would hope so. If someone thinks otherwise, I'd like a call and chat about it.
0: Well, Dave, that is the first issue of the Peninsula Pulse. I'm really excited to keep talking to you about uh, the the next couple of years and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but I, I think that we've we've covered a lot today. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you think is important for this first episode?
1: I think this is okay for the first episode, but I'm going to, at some point, going to turn this around on you and ask you start asking you a whole bunch of questions. Because uh, part of the impetus of this was to get you to tell me about your experience putting together your first newspaper. So we're going to... At some point, I'm going to spin this around on you if you're all right with that. Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm excited to to
0: jump into the back and forth, and then then is the then and now, especially as we we pivot into talking about events and stuff as the the summer ramps up. Hopefully, when we're post pandemic, we'll be able to talk a lot more about the things that are going on, uh, and I'm hoping that we can have some kind of fun stories about what things were like when you first started up here compared to now as well to have that input. So. Uh, thank you so much, Dave, for coming on the podcast with me. Thank you, Oxford, for being nice and quiet this whole time. Uh, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.